Well, welcome to the Black Men Speak podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. I'm your host, Keith Dent, and today we're going to talk about a real travesty uh, that's happening in Minnesota, and it's not George Floyd. It's the absence of black male teachers. In 2017 article by the Brookings Institute, uh, it highlighted from several studies that minority students often perform better on standardized tests, have improved attendance, and are suspended less frequently when they have at least one same race teacher. Just one. Well, did you know that, that naturally 8% of the teachers are black? And when it comes to black male teachers, it's even lower a lot lower. So the odds of black students having the same race educator is very slim. And in the state of Minnesota, it's disastrous with a percentage of black male educators at 0.5%. Well, the man I'm talking to today has set out to kind of change that. Uh, his name is Marcus Flynn. He's the executive director of Black Men Teach. And it's an organization that advocates and accessible, affordable pathways for black men to become elementary educators. And so we're going to talk about his path as a teacher. The decision that I made and the decision that most black men make to teach is based on this idea of what type of impact do I want to have in this world? Mm. How can I utilize my skill set? How can my talents be at the forefront of what I do? And how can I do something that will really bring a meaningful difference to the lives of young black children. Uh, his role as the executive director. Keep it, I want you to come to the classroom. I don't want you to have to take on this tremendous personal financial burden in order to make, uh, like to pave a better way for future generations of students. It's not fair to you. And the challenges faced by black male educators as they try to help the students. Uh, their students not only excel, and that's we're talking about all teacher, all students, um, but just for nothing else, our black male students. So, so Marcus, um, welcome, welcome, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you. Yeah, phenomenal introduction. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. You know, and it's uh, nice to uh, see that you are part of my fraternity as well, Alpha Phi Alpha. So. Right. Oh, 06. So yeah, you go. I'll say to the good bros. Yeah. So let, let's kind of get started. Um, as you noted it from the study and then also just the state of Minnesota, there aren't a lot of black male teachers uh, just in general. So what made you decide that you wanted to go that as your career path? And was that what you had set out to do when you graduated from college? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, my story is probably similar to the majority of black male teachers and the answer is hell no. There's no way. No one, there's very few black men who grow up wanting to be a teacher. There's so few that it's almost impossible to feel like that that number you talked about with 8% of teachers being black nationally about a little less than 2%. The majority of them did not come, did not decide at 10 years old that they're going to be a teacher. The decision that I made and the decision that most black men make to teach is based on this idea of what type of impact do I want to have in this world? Mm. How can I utilize my skill set? How can my talents be at the forefront of what I do? And how can I do something that will really bring a meaningful difference to the lives of young black children or young children in general? But often many of us come into this profession thinking specifically how we can help black students like ourselves since we're so underrepresented in the profession. 
Right. So what did you want to do before you decided to become a teacher? So I was in graduate school try, working to become an epidemiologist. I wanted to study the social determinants of health. So health disparities and inequities in the black community. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like that was my calling. I thought that was it. I wanted to have do these longitudinal observational studies to understand disease trends and patterns. How okay. do you think even deeper since we, we don't really know, we don't know those issues as well, you know, especially what what uh, things affect our health. And, you know, there's not a lot of a lot of black people doing that as well. So that was, you know, you had a big choice to make. For sure. But honestly, I mean, part of it, that's part of what drew me to education. I'm doing this work in epidemiology. I'm studying these things. And I would always notice that you have to control for educational analysis. If you took education out, you might have an intervention that's really good at changing the exposure outcome relationship. But if you take education out of the analysis, that intervention might not do anything anymore. And so for me, that would tell me like education is really foundational and it might even be more foundational than a lot of these things that we're doing to mitigate these health inequities that exist. And so I felt like I'm big on this like upstream approach. I like to be proactive. I like to prevent things before they happen. And I started thinking like education is the way where you can do that. You get in the classroom, you inspire somebody, you affirm them, you help them build an affinity to, for, for learning. That has tremendous outcome down the road. And I mean, and for me, I'm a numbers person. I saw studies that were some of the most compelling studies I've ever seen. I saw something that said, if a black student has a black teacher in between third and fifth grade, they're about 29% less likely to drop out of high school. And in that same study, the black boys who are in the lowest in, uh, income quantile were 39% less likely to drop out of high school, right? That's significant impact down the road. We're talking about third to fifth grade. Kids are what, 10 to 12, basically. Now you're talking about six years later when they're 18, you have impacts on how, how likely they are to actually graduate. Yeah, that, that's a major study. And that really that caught my attention as well when I read that, because I, I thought about my, you know, I'm much older, but I thought about my in, interaction with black male teachers. And I, I don't I can't recall having any teachers as well that were uh, that were black, at least male educators. And so this is a, probably an issue that's been going on for a long time. Um, so now I know you're, you're kind of executive director uh, of Black Men Teach. So give a brief synopsis of what that is. And then how did you come to decide to lead uh, that organization? Yeah. So, I mean, you did a great job of actually introducing the organization. I'll say another way to think of it is like we're trying to build this really robust pipeline that supports the recruitment, the development and retention of black male teachers, specifically in elementary school. So we started at the high school level with some work to help like high school black males unlearn a lot of the like myths about education and the teaching profession. And then also give them opportunities to enroll in courses where they can um, like build an aptitude for like education classes and see, see if they enjoy that while knocking off some college credits. And we also give them an opportunity to lead like a Saturday school for young black boys where they get to really see what it's like to lead a classroom environment, but also see the impact that they have specifically on young black male. College level, we provide wraparound support. 
So financially, we give all of our men scholarships. We have like on-campus support for them so that they have someone who's there to help them navigate the actual like resources the college offers. We have um, like supplemental training to make sure that our men just aren't coming out of these teacher prep programs and are sought after because of their immutable qualities, their race and gender, but because they're also highly effective and like well-trained uh, practitioners. Hmm. And then at the, well, we also do work with people who are career changers. So people who are looking to get into education, how do we help you find an accessible, affordable pathway to the classroom? And then at the, the back end, we provide our men loan forgiveness money. And we also help support them by getting them into one of our partner schools, which in theory are schools that are committed to this cause and this mission of increasing black male teaching. They understand that in order to do that, they have to do the work to create a culture and climate that's conducive to retaining black men. So across the spectrum, we, we know that like you can el eliminate one barrier and that's going to like do something, but we have to eliminate every single barrier to make sure that these men are being tripped up along the way. And that's right. what for. It's like a fullback it's trying to clear that hole and make sure that no one's there to touch you. Right, right. Yeah, and we'll touch upon some of those things, especially the obstacles. Um, but you, uh, you had mentioned something just a minute ago about um, some of the myths that some of the uh, high school students have. What, just give me a couple, couple of those myths. What, what were they? Yep. So some of it is like, I think, I think the first is, I don't think people understand that there is more of an earned potential in education than you, than, than you'd imagine. I taught fifth grade and my kids after, in fifth grade would say, Mr. Flynn broke because you're a teacher. So by 10 years old, they right. might, like they've in, internalized this idea that teachers don't make any money at all. Right. But if you look at the average teacher salary in Minneapolis for like Minneapolis public school district, for example, it's not as bad as people would imagine, but also too, Let's look at the salary of the superintendent or school these school principals. Mm, right. Like there's actually earning potential that's pretty significant in this field. And so I think even understanding that, like this idea that one, I think it's easy to get them to understand, especially if they have an appreciation for numbers, the impact that black teachers have on students through data, but anecdotally, they understand that piece. But then to start to get them to think like, okay, this is a place where I can have a career that'll provide me like a good quality of life. And then also Black Mentees comes in with some scholarship money, some loan forgiveness money too, to alleviate that that financial barrier even more. But it starts to, to reframe how they think about education. Also too, I think we have to address this idea that teaching is a racialized and gender profession. In the state of Minnesota, about 95% of teachers are white. Across the state, about 75% of teachers are women. So if you stick your hand in a bucket of teachers, you're most likely going to pull out a white woman. Mm. And that's what most of their experiences have been with. And so they've internalized this idea that white women are teachers, black males are not. And so we have to do a lot of work to understand, like, no, there, there are not a lot of us, but that uniqueness is one of the things that makes us so special. Like, black male teachers are very aberrant. But we bring a specific skill set and a background and some experiences to the classroom that are tremendous in their value. And so we got to do some reframing around that thought. But also we got to do some reframing around like just what it means to be in education, because a lot of their K-12 experience is not what we want them to replicate. 
So you have to unlearn like what does the school environment look like and start to reimagine what does it look like if there's teachers who identify like me leaving these classrooms, creating a space that's really that centers my identity, that affirms my identity on a daily basis. Really right. me build this affinity for learning. Like, what does that look like? And that's what we're trying to create. We're not trying to reproduce what you went through. I had a thought for you. So you, you might want to reframe it by uh, a teacher being the quarterback of the, t of, the, of the classroom, the principal being the, I guess, the GM of the class, of the school, G, like general manager of a team, and then the superintendent's the owner. <laughs> it may, so, you know, I think if, because of course, you know, and I do this in, uh, I do relationship coaching and I use sports related analogies for our men to understand because they understand sports. Yep. So I think if we, you know, as a way to reframe, because I do understand, I, I think I even had that thought as well, thinking that teachers are not, not going to make enough money. And that's been ingrained for a very long time. And so didn't necessarily uh, go in that to profession right away. But I, I do see the value in, in being in a classroom and the impact that you can have on the entire classroom. And just your, you know, the energy that we, we can bring to a classroom would just be tremendous. Yeah, and I mean, the, the financial piece is big, which is why that's a big focus of what we do. And the, the data is compelling. And it's it it tells you that right now, as is teaching for black, I mean, black uh, people in general, is it the most it's not a fiscally responsible decision. So right now, the national average teaching salary is about forty four thousand dollars. A white education major will come out with about twenty five thousand dollars in debt. Hmm. Black students who graduate college have an additional twenty five thousand dollars in debt on top of that. Mm. So we're talking about for a black education major. Fifty two thousand dollars in student loan debt relative to a forty four thousand dollars starting salary. It's one hundred twenty percent debt to income ratio. Mm. It's not favorable. That's not going to work. Right. It's not going to work. So that's why that's such a big piece of what we do. Because like I don't want. Keith, if I want you to come to the classroom, I don't want you to have to take on this tremendous personal financial burden in order to make, uh, like, to pave a better way for future generations of students. It's not fair to you. And so it's like, how do we step in, mitigate, and alleviate as many of those barriers as possible? And again, that financial piece is a big one. And that, and and I'm sure that's a that's is that usually your first sell when you're out trying to recruit uh, black men into your uh, the organization? No, not at all. Actually, no, it's, it's part of the conversation that's important for them to know early on that we can help. But like the first piece is like, you gotta be committed to this, this impact. And it's like, that's what's gonna drive you. It doesn't matter. I mean, people are in really well-paying uh, paying professions that hate their, hate their job. Right. I need men who really believe in changing this education achievement gap that exists in Minnesota, people who are really committed to youth development and mentorship and guidance. That's that's the first that's the first point. And to me, that's the most compelling thing. I made the decision to become a teacher knowing that I would have to take on. I was already in grad school. I had to go into another graduate program to work to, towards licensure. So I made the decision knowing like, OK, I'm going to have to take on some burden. But I was so committed to this idea of Black teachers, black male teachers have really significant impact on these students and we can change lives, have generational impact over time. 
especially with an organization like Black Men Teach, actually accumulating a group of black men, like we can really see the narrative shift and the outcome shift in Minnesota, I think within like a decade. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible. Right, right. And you, and you guys use an unconventional method uh, recruiting uh, black males into the teaching ranks. So why, why is that and how has it um, been received so far? Yeah, well, I think part of it is there's nothing conventional about recruiting black males into teaching. This is why less than 2% of teachers nationally are black men. There ain't, there's nothing conventional about it. And so we have to go about it from a unique way because there's no, there's no criterion. There's nothing that there's like no gold standard that says this is how you effectively get black men into the classroom because there's nothing that's been done so far. So we know that we have to take a multi-pronged approach. We were reaching out to men who are associate educators in schools right now because, excuse me, many of those men have all of the requisite skills to be a teacher. All they don't have is the piece of paper that says you can actually leave this classroom. So we try to capture men like that and an associate educator is like an education assistant or a paraprofessional. Sometimes they call them education specialists, okay. um, behavior specialists, right? Okay. And so we try to capture those men, help find programs for them to go to, and then support them through those programs to get them the credentials to lead the classroom. At the high school level, we start. We try to start young. So we look for high schools that have what's called an education pathway program, which is basically two courses in a row that are dual enrollment courses. So that means they're in high school and they're getting college credit for it. Oh, okay. And so we recruit men into that class and then in return, we pull them out once a week and we work on them around this, basically this idea of like a black male teacher identity development. Okay. Understand like, first, what does it mean to be a black man in society? Next, what does it mean to be a black man in the context of Minnesota? Let's talk about the the history and the legacy of racial covenants and how that's created um, gaps in in, um, income or the wealth gap in Minnesota. Like, how is that a function of that? And that creates these conditions that we see black people are in now. Then you talk about like this idea of what does it mean to be an activist? How do you use your platform to do that? And how can teaching in its purest form be a true form of activism? How can you teach in an abolitionist fashion? Now, how does that go back and imagine if you had that in the classroom, how would that impact you? So literally in order to do this work, you have to be creative because there's not something that says, okay, this is, let me go to read this journal article and see this is the effective way to recruit black men into teaching. It just doesn't exist. I think the most important thing, I, I think of it as like exposure and intervention. The intervention piece is when we come in and start to help you reframe and think and rethink about like teaching as a profession, but the exposure is when you just get an opportunity to be in front of these kids and see like, okay, I kind of enjoy this. Because as men, we don't spend a lot of time with children. We just don't, it's not an expectation for us. Mm. When younger, I remember when I was growing up, my- You, mom, mean, you mean if you don't have kids, is that what you mean? You don't have kids, I'm talking about younger men in general, right? Gotcha. Okay. Growing up, you don't have a lot of interaction with children and and one of the examples I can think of is like, as I was growing up, me and my sister are almost the same age, we're 13 months apart. My mom's best friend had a young child and she would constantly ask my sister to babysit. They never had that expectation of me, never. 
never even considered to ask me to do it. I'll be, I would have always been willing to, but they didn't do it. And I think part of it is the societal expectation of men and societal expectation of women. Women are thought to be nurturing. They're supposed to be with mm-hmm. you. Men are not. They do not have the same expectation. Or hypersexualized. Then that's a whole, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother issue. <laughs> but that might be also one of the uh, myths, the things out there that people expect that, oh, well, we're not, we don't know how to behave or, um, or could be a detriment to a child. Yeah. But um, I mean, like, children need male influence in their lives, especially young black boys. We need black male influence. Right. And it's hard to come around that sometimes. Right. I didn't have the first black male mentor until I was in college. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Wow. And so on your website, Minnesota has a big gap in graduation rate for white, white and black students. So, but it didn't uh, notate what's the difference. So what, what is the difference uh, that you see uh, in the state? Yeah, so I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. I have an idea, but I don't like to quote when I'm not exactly sure, mm-hmm. but something around this. High school graduation rate for white students is around like 84%. So somewhere right around the national average, maybe a little bit above. Black student high school graduation rate is about 66%, which is the lowest in the country. Mm. Minnesota has the lowest graduation rate for black and Latino students in the country. In the country? In the country. And people wouldn't expect a place like this to have that. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Wow. Okay. And so even though you were the executive uh, uh, director of Black Men Teach, you were in the classroom. So what were some of the challenges uh, that you that Black male teachers face in the classroom? Yeah, you know, part of it is, and part of the reason like our organization has its focus on like supporting men once they get there is because a lot of it, the challenges come from your, your coworkers and colleagues. And I, I, I had a good group of people who I taught with but one of the things i struggle with was my perception of a student versus theirs i would hear conversations about specific students and i'm like huh him that's who you're talking about because i I just it was a completely different reality and part of it is because of my lived experience i would i would interact with the student and maybe they're not the most compliant immediately but it's like i understand i get it and i i had a lot of coworkers who their disposition was like when it came to like discipline was different too. They were a lot more like put the hammer down and like make sure students don't have as many liberties so that they don't have an opportunity to do something disruptive. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of that. I'm big on autonomy and I want my kids to enjoy school. I, I'm big on this idea of like, if someone's going to learn something, you'll learn, best if you're intrinsically motivated. Now, how do you influence someone's intrinsic motivation? Well, it's a difficult thing to do. There's things like motivational interviewing to try to elicit that through conversation. But the simplest way to do it is to make them enjoy it. You enjoy something, you're more motivated to do it. And that's the, that, that's the paradigm I took when I was in the classroom. And so I tried to make things enjoyable as much as possible at all times. And so the classroom environment that I created relative to the ones in the classrooms uh, adjacent to mine was very different. Mm. And um, so did, would you, did you make it boisterous or were you, were you animated 
uh, in your classroom? And then how was that received by other teachers? So yes and no, right? Like a lot of how I teach is how I'm talking right now. Like okay. this is who I am. And so I believe in order to teach effectively, you need to bring your full self to the classroom. And so if you're not boisterous and animated, don't step in that classroom and do it because kids are really good at seeing if you're being organic or if you're just making something up to create this environment. And so there was some of that, like a lot of it in my classroom, we listen to music every day and it's like old school R&B, some like different type of hip hop, Afro beats. Okay. Like music that the kids associated with, music that they hear back home, all of it. And so we had different types of call and responses. Like one class might go one, two, three, and the kids respond all eyes on me, something like that, which I'm like, that's no. So I would say, blue face baby, my kids will yell back, yeah, all right. You know, and it's just a difference. And we had a lot of those things. They used to bring in black movies to show them. Um, so like one of the examples was Drumline. I would use scenes from Drumline to teach them about different things. And so I showed them the clip where they talked about one band, one sound. What does that mean? Well, in this clip, it's about accountability. How do we, how are we accountable to each other? And that's one of the things that we would do, kids would yell out one band, I would yell out one sound, you know, or the other way around. And so you just create a different type of environment. We talked to us. So also I taught science, but I always was very intentional about taking out time to infuse something about black history into this curriculum. Even if it had nothing to do with what we're talking about, we could be talking about the phases of the moon. We're going to start off this lesson talking about the Mali Empire in the 1400s and Mansa Musa. For me, it was so important that my kids had this positive self-association and this positive okay. sense of self. And I'm like, that's just as important, if not more important than whatever this curriculum is. So I'm gonna take out time to do this regardless. And so it's just, it's hard to really explain everything because one, I'm thinking as I'm talking, Yeah. but I can tell you this, it was a very, palpable difference you walk into my class you walk down the hallway it's a difference and i think that can cause some tension because like i see how st uh, like students are treated in other classrooms i'm just not a fan of it right especially when they when and it's, it's a different behavior when when kids respond so if they s see uh, a child responding in your classroom but not in theirs of course there's a resentment because they're like what could he actually be doing Especially, you know, older older teachers as well. What could he be doing that I, you know, I've been in education for blah blah years, and 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 here's this young guy who's coming in and thinks he knows what's up. So you know, it's always a maybe a jealousy factor, but and and, and a lot of that probably builds up, uh, which you hadn't mentioned, but I'm sure that's probably what happens. Um, and so I know in the quote, I think on the website, you said a black man understands the life of a black child in a way that another person cannot. And so what is it that a black man can actually impart in the classroom that is different than a black woman? Or is it the same? Um, so I think a lot of it honestly is the same, right? I think the commonality is like just having this understanding of culture and experiences and that, that piece is significant. And then the difference between just having a black man versus a black woman is just like some of the, the things that it means to be a black man. Like I, I relate well to my black 
uh, women students and my young black girls. And I related really well with my young black boys, but I couldn't understand my young black girls experience one to one like I could with most of my young black boys. Mm-hmm. And so there's just differences being a black man versus a black woman. And that's all. Um, our organizations focus on black men specifically. And I feel like that might be what the the question is kind of like alluding to. Mm-hmm. But it's just because, again, in the state of Minnesota, a black male teacher is really average. There's about 63,000 teachers in the state of Minnesota. They list 875 of them being black, which is less than one and a half percent. They don't stratify by race and gender, but across the state of Minnesota, about 25% of teachers are men, 75% are women. So you take that same proportion, apply that to the 875 number, you're talking about about 220 black male teachers. 220 out of 63,000 is less than half of 1%. So we take a very specific approach on a very specific population for a very specific classification of school. Work with black men, want to go specifically into elementary school. So laser focus approach so you can provide very specific interventions is because black men are one of the most underrepresented groups in the classroom across the country, but especially in a place like Minnesota. Yeah, and I can see that because in the thir- third to fifth grade area of a child, those are very crucial times where you can reach, where you need to reach kids, especially if they don't have a black male figure in their lives. You know, I have two boys. Um, one's uh, 18, one's 14. And so, you know, I've, you know, I could see the difference if I wasn't in their life versus being in their lives. And if not having a black male educator or someone of uh, that could really um, be a mentor, someone they could talk to, you can see the detrimental effects. And I'm sure you see that every day when you're, you know, you've been working with these students. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the reason we focus on elementary school, because it is so foundational and it's easier, again, that upstream approach to build those strong um, like foundations and building blocks at an early age and then capitalize on those moving forward. And then again, the more reason to focus on black men nationally, only about 10 percent of elementary school teachers are men. So I have no clue how many black male elementary school teachers are in Minnesota. But given those ratios, my guess is it's less than 50. And so this group is extremely unique and rare. Extremely unique and rare. Mm. Yeah. And so that's why we take this approach. It's, it's like oh, the black men in Minnesota who are in elementary school almost non-existent. Right, right. And so that, that leads me to the next question that I love you just, you know, for people listening, not only in the live stream right now, but in the podcast. Tell me about Thetis White, because um, I know he was celebrated for Teacher Appreciation Week, and that was this year. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear his story or you to tell the story, because I just thought it was fascinating. And that's really what uh, helped me find find this organization. So, yeah, please. Yeah, so Thetis White, I mean, he's <clears throat> he's exactly what like this organization was built for, men like him. So Thetis, we... We helped him identify the school that he worked with to put him in one of our partner schools. And so Thetis is exactly like the, the, he's like the, I don't even know how to term it. The path that it takes for a black man to get in a classroom and the outcome that you want to see, that's him, right? 
So he just went to college, graduated, was working a variety of jobs, worked for UPS for a while, was doing a lot of coaching. In his coaching, he, he, he got to see the impact that he had on these young men, a lot of young black men. And so he felt like, I want to maximize his impact and do it as much as possible. And so he figured the best way to do that, to expand his scope of influence, was to move from just coaching sometimes to doing something in like a similar capacity full time mm-hmm. when it comes to the classroom. So he already had got his college degree, but he decided, let me go back. And again, the idea of having to take on this huge financial burden on yourself in order to expand your scope of influence is what he had to think through. And he decided, I'm going to make this decision. Okay. Goes back to school, accumulates a ton of debt, but comes out. We get in contact with him while he's about to graduate. We place him in one of our partner schools. And everything I've heard about him has been amazing since he started. His students, their parents, the administration, the other teachers, everything you hear about that man is positive. And he's also one of the most selfless people you ever meet. I would sit down with him. I'm like, you know, Thetis, how can how can Black Men support you better? What can we do? It's like, man, I'm just happy you all exist and help me get into this school. And that was it. I'm like, well, if anything, we could do anything for you. What would it be? I'm good, man. Mm-hmm. And that's just who he is. And so, again, I don't feel like you should have to take on this huge financial burden in order to have impact on other people's lives. It's not fair. And so we had an opportunity. We got we uh, developed a partnership with General Mills and specifically the Box Tops for Education program. And around Teacher Appreciation Week, we came up with this idea of wanting to recognize um, a teacher just to show how much we appreciated them. And Thetis was immediately the person. Couldn't think of a person who better represented our organization, but also represented what it means when you have black men in the classroom and the path that it takes a lot of time to get us there. And so we set it up so that we had his students film videos of themselves to talk about how much they appreciated him. A couple of parents did as well, and we set it up so that we were filming him while he watched that video. Hmm. Moved to tears. He was just happy off of that. After he watched the video, we come in, and Black Men Teach has one of those giant, um, exaggerated checks. Says, here's $50,000 to go to your student loan debt. It will be delivered to you over the course of the next five years. Um, to just help you, man. Just take that burden off of your back because that's a huge burden to, to have to carry around. Yeah. And so, I mean, you can see the video on our on our homepage. It's blackmenteachtc.org. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, post it uh, to the website and also uh, the Facebook page because uh, I just thought it was awesome. But what I also, additionally, which I wanted you to maybe comment in, but was the actually the non people of color and how revered they were how did how did that strike you as when you when you filmed the videos yeah i mean i'm not surprised i taught and almost all my students were black but not all of them Mm -hmm. and so like black teachers have impact on non-black students too and it's an important impact and i think especially we have black men like Kids are susceptible to the same things that we are, and they they get these same implicit messages about black people and black men in particular 
delivered to them all the time, and they start to shape their perceptions. And having a black man in a role like a teacher with the qualities you inherently associate with them are like nurturing, kind, caring, um, altruistic, right? Like those type of things. That helps start to undermine some unconscious bias that builds up over time against black men in particular, mm -hmm. or just black folk in general. And so that's important. And also too, like, I always go back to those numbers. You're talking about less than half of 1%. So the likelihood of having a black male teacher is low. Right. Kids, kids can recognize the uniqueness in a black male teacher. I had a, one of my students, she told me my first week of teaching ever. She was like, you're my favorite teacher. He was like, just because you look like me, that's it. You're my favorite teacher. <laughs> yeah, right. And so like kids recognize that uniqueness. Non-black kids mm. recognize that uniqueness as well. And they appreciate it. And plus, black men just do things differently in life. We just got a different type of flavor with everything. And we bring that to the classroom. And people appreciate that uniqueness, that average. Right, that right. And you go in this class, you see posters of Prince, Nip Hustle quotes. I mean, like, it's just a, it's a different environment. And it's cool. And the kids love it. And kids love him. You talk to one of his kids about him, they immediately start smiling. When, and it's just holistic. It's a different... It's good to have different voices, giving people a different perspective. And that kind of kind of leads to my next my kind of next question, turning kind of to George Floyd, since you are in Minnesota. Um, and I don't know if you were in the classroom at that time. But of course, one thing we usually don't hear about naturally is how something like his murder affects kids, especially elementary school kids. So, you know, what was the overall effect of the that tragedy and how did you handle it um even if you had to work with your high school mentors that were going to be working with those students how did how did you handle it uh working with those uh those school-age children yeah so at the time i wasn't with black men teach um i was just in the classroom oh okay it was actually because i mean part of the thing that made george Floyd so big was that it was set against this backdrop of being COVID, right and you had the attention of the entire world. And so we weren't actively in the classroom. We were doing everything asynchronous. Mm. And so, man, that was tough. Um, it's tough. I got kids who live down the street from where that happened. I live on Chicago Avenue, right? And it happened on 38th in Chicago. I live on Chicago Avenue. Mm. Um, man, it was real. That was it was a tough time. So you were basically right in the right in the heart of it. Yeah. And um, some 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 of my kids, right? My kids, my school is down the street. It take me it used to take me six minutes to get to work, and so I had kids who were probably in that same area too, who were surrounded by that, and it was tough. And like, I I wrote statements to my students to to kind of like express how I felt about it and give my thoughts and provide space for them, but it's hard teaching asynchronous online. It's, it's, it's a challenge. It's different. Online teaching is not, it's just not conducive for learning. Mm. So you, you have, there's a, there's a big virtual wall that's put up. And so I didn't have the best sense of how my students process that. But I mean, the unfortunate thing about Minnesota, man, is like, that's not like George Floyd happened, but during this trial, we, we experienced Dante Wright's murder, which again is super close. That's in Brooklyn Center. But it's a first ring suburb, so it's down the street again. Mm. And I mean, even just a testament to how small Minneapolis is. I saw a post that said George Floyd's girlfriend was the teacher of Dante Wright at one point, 
right? Like there's one wow. population in all black people here. And so my kids were infl- impacted and inflicted by that as well. And that was during the trial of George Floyd. And so there we were distant still, but we were um, synchronous. And so I got to see him, we had space and we talked about it. And I got a chance to really get, just kind of get an idea of how do fifth grade black students process the murder of a young black man while they're also having to re um, endure the trial of George Floyd. It, it was very convoluted time, a um, lot of emotions. But kids are like, it's something about kids that's just like extremely optimistic and positive and like just this belief that things will get better. And that's that's that was like the undertone of a lot of the conversation that we had. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and that's uh, good to know. Uh, and and I'm sure you did the best you could to really impart knowledge and healing upon those students. So. Um, what does what does black men teach need in order to um well before i get to this question how many um how many black male teachers have you placed so far and what are your goals you know for the future yep so the goal on our website and it's like our north star what we're trying to get to is we'll have eight partner schools and we'll have 20 percent of the teachers in those eight schools be black men which roughly equates to about 29 black male teachers, maybe 32 on the high end. And right now we're in the second year of that goal. And we have three teachers placed so far. So Thetis and two other teachers, but they're all at the same school actually. Okay. And so part of our model is to have cohorts of black men. So we're not just going through eight partner schools and going down the line, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then start over. It's like, how do we get start to make sure that that community already exists and have these black men support it with each other, right? Build some affinity space in the school. Mm-hmm. And so we're three in so far. I mean, part of the work that we're doing is a pipeline. Pipelines take time. So over time, we'll produce more and more. But right now, we're three down. Um, and I'm happy, man. At least three amazing black male educators. Um, so I'm really excited to see what this year looks like for us. Um, and what do we need? Was that the second part of the question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, I think it's always good to have stuff like this because somebody will email me like, hey, my my aunt listened to this podcast. I'm going into elementary education in Minnesota. How do I get tapped in? Um, or, you know, like, you know, I'm in college right now. I was thinking about this. I, I always thought about being a teacher. Can, I, can you help me learn more about it? And so, Anything that helps us build brand awareness is effective. It's a nonprofit, right? So money is always important, um, especially too when we're trying to provide like pretty significant financial benefit for the men that come through our program. And then, um, you know, I think we have space for like volunteer support and help too if people wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, any any way that someone feels compelled to help, I think would be beneficial. We're an early stage startup nonprofit that's got big dreams, ambitions, and it's going accomplish a lot in this area and hopefully one day go national yeah that's great and yeah and i think i like i like the model i like the fact that we're doing something that hadn't you hadn't been done before there is a there is some of the initiative I, that i've seen but you know it looks like by the way you're reaching the youngest younger uh 
young folks to kind of change their mind, their myths about teaching and really imparting, um, you know, support with them, working with them at a young age. Cause that's, I think that's what really helps with the impact for, especially for young black men that doesn't know what direction they want to go in. And, uh, and then creating that pathway by them getting real world, you know, experience, maybe not as teachers, but at least interacting with young, younger folks uh, in a different way and creates that. So um, I am going to post it on the website, What's but what is the website that people can go to and uh, to read more about your program and if they want to donate and those kind of things? Yep. So we're Black Men Teach TC, so like Twin Cities, .org. And then if you want to donate, there's opportunities to go do it through the website. Um, our Instagram is BMT Twin Cities. Facebook, you got to look up Black Men Teach. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're around. Um, and just like, again, if there's people who feel compelled to support and really do align and the mission resonates with them, tap in with me somehow. We'll figure out a way to make it work. Okay, that's great. Well, uh, thank you for being on the show. I know that you pour a lot into people. So I always like to pour into my guests by asking them this question. Um, and it's really about what's on your mind as a black man in America. Man, that's such a good question. Um, man, it's this idea of school discipline. It, school discipline is so disparate for black students. It's just something I think about often. And it starts at an early age. I was looking at this video, I had a study that showed four students sitting at a table. I think it was maybe a black boy, black girl, white boy, white girl. And it was asking teachers to, okay, watch this video and look for instances of misbehavior. And so there was actually no misbehavior in the video. These students were all in preschool, okay? Mm. And it was an eye tracking software. And all of the teachers spent more time looking at the black boy, all of wow. them, right? Because they're all looking and, they're, and they don't know it. It's that like subconscious, that implicit bias that exists in all of us. And if you're not consciously like aware of it and actively working to overcome that, that's what happens when you see in the state of Minnesota, like that's what creates us having black students who are eight times more likely to be suspended or expelled. In Minnesota, black students represent 10% of the student population, but 42% of all discipline incidents. Even nationally, black students are about 18% of the population. But if you look at, I think, kindergarten students who are expelled more than one time, suspended or expelled more than one time, 48%. Wait, you said kindergarten students expelled. Is that that's yeah, actually a thing? And it shouldn't even be a thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. It shouldn't even be a thing at all. But if we're talking about who's most likely to have that happen more than once, it's black students by far, fifty percent. They're basically fifty percent of the students that happens to. And so it's like all of this cannot be due to discipline. I mean, to the differences in behavior. It's a difference in perception, and that's a big conversation. I don't think we have enough. And so school, and that's part of the reason you don't see a lot of black male teachers. There's, a, there's something about school that it just creates this environment that can be trauma-inducing. If by at pre-K, you're always looked at as somebody who is the most likely person to misbehave.
And then when you do misbehave, you're more likely to be suspended or expelled. And then if that happens, you're more likely to get it, have, it, have it happen again. What's going to make you want to come back to that environment to be like, yeah, this is where I want to have a profession. And so our young black boys are, are like excluded from education at a very early age, a very early age. And teaching is, is an interesting profession because you have effectively 12, 13 years to recruit somebody. And I know that, oh, but I just want to jump back on this for a second. Yeah. So with the kid, so especially with kindergarten, so is there, when there are parent advocates, so when the parents come in, are, does, are they there, um, whatever they, you know, objections, are those parents dismissed or is it the fact that there are no parent advocates and that's why this happens? No, black parents are very good at advocating for for their students, but a lot of things are disguised as like policies and procedures. Like this is this is the schools, oh okay, right? And it's just like this is what we do, and there's no way around it. So parents do advocate often, often. Okay, but I mean, when has black advocacy been enough in itself to prevent black people from being like systemically oppressed? Right. Yeah, I mean, we had we have to fight at all times and go well beyond to get that get those um things overturned or exposed it's really probably more more so the uh the rule so um marcus this was this was great man you know and i applaud you for uh your pathway and i wish you much success for all that's um happening with you and i hope in year year four year five that you meet your goal because uh, that will mean transformation in the state of Minnesota. That's the plan. And Brother Den, I appreciate you for having a space like this. We get to elevate stories and, and share the impact that, that Black men are having. It's important. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Of course. All right. Well, folks, as you know, that is a that was very sobering uh, to hear uh, that we need some and we need some more uh, male teachers. We need more black teachers just in general to really uh, advocate for our students because if we're if we don't do it, who is going to do it? Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Day. We're going to give a special shout out today to those who have listened and followed the show because. This week was our one-year anniversary, and I'm thankful to all who have supported the show, especially my wife and family. As you know, we always like to end the show with a quote, and this one comes from Bob Marley. The greatness of a man is not how much wealth he acquires, but in his integrity and his ability to affect those around him positively. This is the Black Men Speak Podcast. Peace.